right, friends, we're going to get started. I've got to shut Kevin down for just a few moments. Um, let me pray for us, and uh, we'll jump in. Uh, dear Lord, uh, thank you for the gift of marriage. Uh, forgive us where we uh, have fallen short. And Father, help us to trust in your work above everything else. And let that, let that trust uh, change us from the inside out. Let it change our marriages. Let it change our lives and those around us. Lord, l- let your word go forth this morning. Father, let it um, pierce our hearts and lead us back to you. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. So we are now in week four of uh, this series. Um, hope it's been helpful so far for you guys. Um, once again, if you want more, just text marriage to this number right here, and we'll send out resources throughout the week to you to maybe encourage you, challenge you. Uh, there are notes in the very back that I did not pass out, and so, uh, and yeah, that just happened. And so, there are computer problems in the area I was trying to fix, and still not fixed, so we might have to print off uh, music lyrics today, so you know what we're singing. But, um, yeah, so notes getting passed around by GT and Kevin. So we spent the past uh, three or four weeks, uh, here's how I classify it, really trying to talk through the building blocks of, of a healthy marriage. And our first week, we looked at this idea of hope in our marriage. Uh, for some of us in this room, um, we're pretty hopeless when it comes to our marriage. And our, our greatest resolve to have hope in life and marriage is to look to Christ and not to our spouse, right? That the biggest drainer of hope in our lives is when I look to my wife, Tracy, to provide what only God can provide. And the second, we looked at this idea of intimacy and how intimacy is broken by sin. And for us to walk in intimacy, we need uh, forgiveness, which can be quick, and reconciliation and trust, which is slow. And so we, we practice those things. And then last Sunday, we looked at um, what we need in our, the, the sweetener of marriage, which is mercy. But in our marriages, we practice one of two things. Either we practice self-righteousness or we practice mercy. And so uh, hope, intimacy, mercy. And today, uh, our next building block is crucial and really practical. It's communication. And here why this is so important. Everybody's like, oh, 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 oh you're okay. Here's what I've noticed about communication. Many times in our marriages, we offend in our communication when we mean not to offend. I, I see this so many times. I, 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 I'll talk with a couple, and they are trying to walk um, in mercy. They're trying to walk in real forgiveness. But they're so different, and they don't know how to talk to each other, and they constantly offend each other all the time because they don't know how to communicate. And so this is a very practical and a very needed thing. And this is going to be pretty simple today, but I want it to be simple so we can go and practice. So we're going to start with our, our five communication killers. Um, so, you know, I am, I'm married myself. And um, amen. That's right. She said yes years ago, and she's stuck now. And um, my wife's a teacher. 
and uh, being a teacher is a very, very hard job. And um, many times my wife will have a hard day, a hard week, a hard month teaching first graders, which I can't imagine doing that. I go in her class for five minutes, and I start yelling. And so, <laughs> sit down, be quiet, please, I'm something, like, just fix this. And, and she's just like, you know, very calm. But every once in a while, it gets to her. And um, she will come, and she will start telling about her. I'll ask her, well, how was your day? And she'll start talking. And um, I know how to kill that right away. Let's tell her how to fix it, right? All my years of experience teaching in classroom, first graders. I go, if you just hit them, Tracy, they'll be quiet. And so um, there are ways that we kill communication every single day in our marriage. And hear this, communication, it breeds trust, intimacy, love, and helps us thrive in marriage. It's what it really does. It helps us build our friendship, which we'll get to in a few weeks in our marriage. But a friendship in marriage, I think, is really one of the keys to a lasting, God-honoring marriage. So five ways through communication we kill that. First, through minimizing. Through th- This is what I do all the time, right? This is Tracy coming to me with her day at school. Oh, it's not that bad. Oh, you'll be fine. Baby, I think you're overreacting. That never goes well, does it? It's tough to tell somebody when they are walking in a real fear or a real struggle to tell them they're overreacting. And so our first mistake is that we minimize. We minimize what the other person is saying. What that really comes down to on some level is we're not hearing what they're saying. So our first killer is we minimize what's being said. Second killer is defensiveness. Defensiveness is simply like it's fighting off feeling bad. Like your spouse comes to you and they say, um, oh, this has been a struggle. And right away, you're on the defensive. Well, what are you talking about? You have anger. um, You pout. Uh, My trick is to be passive aggressive. I am really good at that. It's a family tradition in our household. And so... um, or the other trick is we just justify what we do. Just justify it, being defensive. We, well, you don't know what I, why I was doing this or, or why I was saying this, but whatever you're doing, when you, when you were defensive, you were closing off feedback. Does that make sense? You're closing off feedback. And we're saying this is the way it is, and you're shutting the door on communication. You're killing it. Third killer, sarcasm sarcasm this is your spouse trying to talk to you and you can't stop being an idiot making jokes yeah it got real quiet the head go down it's fair it's fair really fair and I think that we are sarcastic because we don't want to listen or feel. Like, just kind of further grab that knife in. Um, we, we don't want to really listen for whatever reason. And I think we're afraid to, like, really be known and have intimacy. So we make, or I'm projecting right now to you guys my own stuff. Um, 
is that we don't want to fully go that extra step of being deeper, so we cut it with, we cut the tension with a joke, right? But many times, this communicates disrespect. Because if I am telling you about a struggle at work, and I'm about to cry because it's so hard, and then I make an off-putting joke or sarcasm, that's saying you don't care, you're not listening, it's not really that important, right? It kills communication. And when sarcasm is really present all the time, it's hard for your spouse to feel safe to be honest with you. Because you don't go to a counselor, for example, and not, we're, listen, we're not counselors in our marriages, but you don't go to a counselor and share your feelings and expect a sarcastic remark back. That would not go well, would it? And so you would not feel safe with that pastor or with that counselor or with that friend. It's even more true in marriage where you're so exposed as you talk to each other. All right, let's keep going. Fourth killer, universal statements. Statements like, well, you always do this. You know, I, I got, if y'all were here last week, I discussed Tracy's shoes being on the floor. Um, I got some feedback from her this week. Um, <laughs> and she said that she is on my shoes tripped numerous times. And so Tracy is always a liar. And so, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's that sense. Um, she's not listening and she knows I'm kidding. Those two things. Sarcasm, right? Um, uh, it's this idea of making the minor into a major. Here's what I mean. So you forget a card at Valentine's Day, right? You shouldn't do that. It's a minor offense, right? When it becomes major, it's like you always forget, Right? That's when it becomes this major offense. Now, I will say this. Many times, because of the way you've sinned against your spouse, every minor is now a major. Does that make sense? Because you're so hurt by what they did, and you haven't healed yet, which is okay. It takes a while to heal. When they do minor offenses, they're going to be major offenses. And if you're the one that's screwed up, that's your medicine for a while. I'm sorry. Until that repairs. But universal statements always make people defensive, don't they? When my wife says, I always do this, like, wait, what? There's this one time, 13 years ago, I did not do that. And so that's not true, <laughs> right? We always get defensive when that happens. And it just, once again, it kills open communication. Last one, the shutdown statements. The stuff like where you say, like, well, I, just, I know I'm the worst. I'm just the worst. And at that moment, what do you say to that? <laughs> like, yeah, you are. It just it shuts it down. It shuts it down. Or you say stuff like, this is what, listen, I, I'm, any, I'm a nine on the Enneagram, and so I'm a, I'm a peacemaker. So I am phenomenal at this. I use the word I'm sorry many times to shut down communication. Right? Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are we done now? Fight over? Can we stop talking? Or I say stuff like, uh, it doesn't matter. It's okay. And what happens when we do that over and over and over again, our spouse never knows the things that actually offend us. We're always saying it doesn't matter. It's okay. Shutting down open communication. And we're not building this friendship. So if that's what shuts down communication, those are very kind of practical, everyday things if you're married you probably can relate to. My question that I want to answer today is what is the goal for communication in a Christian marriage? What makes our communication and our marriages different from a non-Christian's communication? 
Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is written in the context to a local church and, and to a local body. But there is this phrase in here in Ephesians 4, because in a sense, before, even, Jesus would say this, before your husband and wife, to your brother and sister in Christ. I know it's kind of weird to say that out loud. But our spiritual bond, in a sense, is our first bond, right? That we are these united creatures in Christ. Let's go to Ephesians 4. He says here, but speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. This is the goal. It is for you to use your words to drive your spouse to Christ. That is the goal, in a sense, behind every communication that we have. If, if uh, where we're going to eat is the battle, <laughs> becoming like Christ is, is like the war, right? Like that is always where we are trying to point each other as best we can. It is the goal behind every goal. When we discuss dinner plans, yes, we're going to figure out dinner, but we want to do, do so in such a way, I know it sounds kind of trite, in such a way that points my spouse to Christ, that honors her. And we see in this passage here this idea of each individual part. It speaks to the uniqueness of each other in a marriage, right? Listen, you are different than your spouse. Men are different than women, right? Ephesians 5 goes on to say that we are, we have different roles in a marriage. Without knowing these different roles, being aware of these different roles, we're never going to fully communicate the right way. We have different things to do. So, this helps us understand the goal, which is to use your words, which is truth in love. Truth in love to point your spouse to Christ. So five principles to do this. Five principles. First, communicate with consistency. With consistency. The person you talk to the most should be your spouse. You know, that's a, a blanket, probably general statement. It's probably true for most people. You might have some rare exception. That's fine. But for most people, your number one person you talk to should and must be your spouse for a whole host of reasons. So in a household, you're what? Uh, your marriage partners, uh, your lovers, your friends, many times your parents take care of a home together. You have family together. There's all these, all these roles in a marriage, right? And many times because we don't communicate consistently and enough, all these things are scattered and we're not working together as a team to do this. Deuteronomy 6, which is a, a passage that's really about uh, talking to your kids about God, but it also applies to our marriage. Let me read it to you. Verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is the call of every person who follows Christ, to love God with everything. 
Then six, these words that I'm giving you today shall be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. What you're seeing here is like this family communication strategy, this family liturgy that we all we have all these rhythms in life for connection and pointing to Christ. When you rise in the morning, that's an opportunity for you to connect with your spouse and point them to Christ. When you go to bed at night, once again, the same thing. Dinner time, drive time. These are all opportunities for us to communicate with each other in a safe way. So I, I've kind of got three areas I'd encourage us all to kind of be consistent at communication. First is consistent check-in as much as you can throughout the day. I'm not saying be codependent. I'm not. But here, here's what I mean. I want my spouse to have a heads up on what I'm coming in with. Does that make sense? So if today's a terrible day, Tracy knows when I get home, it's been a terrible day. She's not getting thrown up on as I walk in the door. Well, she sometimes is, but she knows the vomit is coming at least. That we should, as plans change, our first response to check in with our spouse. I know this sounds so one-on-one, but many people have a problem just doing this. So check in consistently during the day. This is going to be the awkward one. Daily highs and lows. Daily highs and lows. For a lot of us in marriages, we do not communicate well. We don't. Na- we we have not been modeled by our parents, and we don't know how to like share things. A great first step is for every day, whatever your time is. Some people it's going to be in the morning. Some's going to be at night. But to share what was the best part of your day and the worst part of your day. Because you want to give your spouse insight into what's going on in your life. Uh, third communication strategy here, the weekly meeting. We talked earlier about how we have all these roles, right? We're friends, we're married, we're lovers, we're parents, we have family, we share a house together. It's a lot of roles, right? I think a weekly, uh, this is a bad word, a weekly meeting, I know it sounds kind of lame, uh, where you just walk through the week where you know what is going on in your life, in your spouse's life, helps you guys be on the same page. It helps you not be offended when your spouse has to work three nights that week, right? Well, you know it's coming. You know why it's coming. And it lets y'all kind of plan around those things. That's the first strategy. Second, communicate with encouragement. With encouragement. Listen. Nobody in this room is over-encouraged. It's not one person in this room that's like, you know what, I'm too encouraged today. Nobody is saying that. And if I could just, um, this is like my thing anyways, is encouragement. But if I could just beg you to do one thing. We all have a voice of our spouse in our head, right? Let that voice be a life-giving voice, not a life-draining voice. Be a life-giving voice to your spouse. The rest of the world, many times, is coming at us. I'll say this too. Uh, Ephesians 5 talks about headship. This idea that the male um, 
this picture of Christ over the church. This male is over the female in a marriage. And, and that is true. And what that really means is the male is the first to sacrifice. What it means, men, is you should be the first to encourage. Many times we've taken headship and made it the first to criticize, haven't we? The first to point out. The first with a snarky word. As men, we lead with the love and mercy and encouragement that Christ has shown to us. That's how we lead. And we give our lives to our wives. I promise you, in a marriage like that, your wife, nine times out of ten, will lovingly submit. Because she sees that you're safe, and it's good for her joy and her sanctification. Proverbs 16. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste and health to the body. It's like my life verse right there, guys. Like, it's like, it, there is something about... You know, have y'all done the love languages thing before? Some of y'all? Uh, mine is definitely words of affirmation. That is, you know, the 10 out of 10 for me is that. But there is something about the sweet words that just like, it's like water for the soul, isn't it? And I just, what if, what if your home was this home of encouragement? What would your life be like? What would your kids see in a house like that? Here's the sad part for me, and y'all can probably relate to this, is many times the one I encourage the least in my life is my wife. I love to encourage people. And many times, in my sin, selfishness, laziness, she gets leftovers. She gets, your shoes are on the floor. She gets. And that is, that is the thing about marriage, isn't it? We're many times the worst version of ourselves to the ones that we love the most. Okay, uh, third principle or fourth, I don't know, third. Yeah, third. Communicate with understanding. With understanding. Well, the first, you have to understand your spouse is different than you, right? We just talked about Ephesians 5. We have different roles in a marriage, right? Uh, the husband sacrificially serves and leads, right? And, and the wife responds with love and submission to her husband. We have different roles in a marriage. We saw in, Ephes we saw in Ephesians 4 that we have each this individual part in the body of Christ, which means we have different strengths and different weaknesses, right, in our marriages. Um, also, we have different experiences in our marriages, different upbringings, different childhood traumas, certain things offend me that don't offend Tracy. Uh, I'm a child of divorce. She's not. There's things she never understands about me because of that, because we are different. And I think this really comes down to this principle right here in Matthew 7. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. This is the law and the prophets. There is this sense we, when we seek to understand we are doing to others what they want to do to us. And here's what I mean. When I say something, I want more than anything to be heard and understood, right? To be understood. So to do that, I have to seek what they need, what they want, what they're, I have to understand them. We need to seek understanding and not winning. 
we communicate, right? Many times we don't listen to understand, we listen to win, to be proven right, to justify, to shut down. So three ways to understand um, communication. First, understand how your spouse is different. I believe here that Enneagram is a great tool for that. I would encourage all of you this week, if you haven't taken it, to know your Enneagram number. It is not everything. I'm not saying that at all. It's a helpful tool to know how you're wired. So, um, like I said, I'm a nine. Uh, My wife um, is a two with a pretty hard wing one, which just means that uh, right and wrong is a big deal for, for my wife. It's a big deal for my wife. And things like, for example, uh, like it's a Friday and the kids have a long week, long week. And I'm like, oh, they can stay home from school. It's Friday. And the rule follows like, wait, what? You can't break that. Don't go to school rule. And I'm like, well, that's not a big deal. And at that moment, we're offending each other, right? And arguing. But I have to understand that my wife sees things very black and white. This is right. And this is wrong. And listen, I guess my entire life trying to convince her to be different. It's not going to work understand it and relate to her and how she is and how they are understand how your spouse communicates differently we communicate differently so i'm a verbal processor when i'm when i'm thinking many times i will just kind of say it to figure it out that is not my wife my wife will we'll be we'll be on it going driving on a trip she'll sit there for five hours and not say a word i thought she hates me she just hates me and, and then I met, uh, then I got to know her father. And I remember Mr. Joe, and they had this beautiful gift to be okay just being quiet. It's a gift, it really is. But if I don't know that she is different in that way, I'm going to always be offended, right? And, and she has to understand, I'm, I'm going to talk. And so her job is to listen now. She said, I do. She stuck. And so we have to understand how our spouse communicates differently. And then third, what we understand. Understand what they're trying to communicate right now. Like right, what that means is what is the context of the day? Has your spouse had a long day? Are they encouraged? Are they discouraged? Listen right now. And here is the key. Ask questions. Ask questions. Ask questions. Be slow to speak, right? And quick to hear. Slow to speak and quick to hear. We want to seek understanding and not winning. Fifth communication principle. Communicate the hard truth. Communicate the hard truth. Do not walk in a marriage where you look up and in 10 years you have not really been honest with each other. And you're kind of irritated and offended and bitter and your friendship is gone. If your spouse does things to constantly offend you and annoy you, hear this. Tell your spouse those things. Don't be a jerk about it. Like, you always do this, you idiot. Don't do that. But lovingly tell your spouse the hard things. I'll say this too. There are sins in your household that your spouse commits that only you see. And God has, in a sense, placed you there for their sanctification. But if we never address that sin out of fear, out of shame, 
out of what's this going to mean? Um, we're going to just go down this road where we are walking away from Christ and our friendship is crumbling around as well. Proverbs 27 says this, the wounds of a friend are trustworthy. Sometimes a friend wounds with their words, but it's trustworthy. But the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Sometimes in our marriage, we should lovingly press on each other. And saying that, I think we need to invite our spouse to do those things and then buckle up and get ready, right? That was a crazy, when I got married, that's the craziest thing for me. It's like, oh, she sees everything I do now, right? Like, used to being single, kind of having your, like, your own space, your own thought. Then you get married, like, oh, they see all the worst parts of me. The snacks I ate at 10.30 p.m., she sees those things. And that's, that's hard, but it's also really good for our souls. Because what's happened, we need to drag as much as we can into the light. Once again, in the final uh, principle here, communicate with the end in mind, which I'll come back to Ephesians 4 again, to grow into every way into him who is the head. That your hope for your spouse is to point them to Jesus. Here's the truth. Many times, we want to win our arguments because we want our spouse to serve us. Our spouse to see us as the team. But if we see the goal as seeing Christ as supreme, we're free to understand. We're free to listen. We're free to encourage. We're free to share that hard truth. And we're free to point them to Christ in truth and love over and over and over again. And so we'll kind of end with this question. Is your home a truth and love home? Like a home where, like, you know each other. It's out there. But there's safety in that. Uh, There's love in that. There's support in that. And listen, if you're not there, that's okay. Because, you know, what I said, the, the first step to change is to recognize where you're at. But I would encourage you, repent. Turn away from a fake and bitter communication in marriage to a truth and love communication in marriage. Application this week. I want to challenge every couple in this room to share with themselves, practice every day, what are the highs and lows of their day. You can blame me if you want to for being cheesy. Every day, what what is the high and what is the low? Because I want us to get used to telling each other what is going on in our lives. What is the high? What is the low? Second, uh, take the Enneagram. Uh, learn a bit about your spouse, how they're wired, how they think. Um, I do think the five uh, love languages is good here as well. Just find ways to know your spouse better. This is your best friend for the rest of your life. Get to know them and enjoy them and know how to serve them in a better, better way. Let me pray for us. Uh, Dear Lord, uh, thank you for...